This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, reporters Will Doran and Danielle Battaglia break down federal and state campaign finance reports for key races in the upcoming election. Hello, for the News and Observer and NC Insider, I am Will Doran, your host for this week. It is Monday, July 25th. And uh, thank you again for listening to Under the Dome, our politics podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking about money this week. Uh, We have some new campaign finance reports, uh, both from the federal and the state level. So we've got numbers on the Sherry Beasley versus Ted Budd Senate race. Uh, We've got numbers from the uh, Supreme Court races uh, that this November are going to determine which party controls the majority on the state Supreme Court. And we have numbers from the General Assembly, uh, which is in the news because uh, really in a large part because of the recent abortion ruling from the Supreme Court. Um, if Republicans are able to get back a supermajority, they could uh, pass some further abortion restrictions on top of what we already have in law. So lots at stake, lots at play, and lots of money already rolling in. Uh, these numbers are just from the first half of the year, um, but I'm here with my colleague, Danielle Battaglia. She is up in Washington, DC. Uh, hello, Danielle, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good, good. Excited to talk about money. Um, <laughs> Love money. We've got a lot here. Uh, this just came out uh, earlier this month, uh, just a few days ago, really. Um, and like I said, it's the it's the fundraising reports for the first half of the year. I want to start off with the Senate race because that is obviously the big headline that uh, really is the attention grabber. It's you know a nationally watched race. It's not just us folks here in North Carolina paying attention. It's really people all across the country. Danielle, what did you see with the numbers that rolled in? The Senate race is interesting. Um, So this is for the second quarter. And I will specify, if you look at just the July report that came in, the numbers will be a little different than what I'm about to quote. You have to look at the last two reports and combine them to get the numbers that I'm about to say. So Sherry Beasley outraised her um, opponent, Ted Budd, by 3.5 times. So she took in $7.4 million to his $2.1 million. And, um, you know, that's quite a lot of money. It was record-breaking. The last time we saw that was with Cal Cunningham. I believe he raised $7 million, so she's about $0.4 million over his. And, um, you know, it's something she seriously touted. She was very excited about A lot of her money came from outside the state, but um, she also got money inside the state where Ted Budd collected more of his money inside the state than she did, although it's all relative percentage wise to the amount they collected. So, um, I mean, Sherry, Sherry cleaned up on this one, although if you look at the money and look at their uh, plan, he Ted Budd's campaign uh, senior advisor. Jonathan Feltz was like, I'm not worried about this. This is something that we've built into our plan. We assumed this was going to happen. And if you look at the past campaigns, Republicans run away with it every time. So we're going to beat her in the general election and, uh, you know, we're going to power through. You also haven't seen like big donors come out yet, like Art Pope, who generally will give to um, Republicans. He did support McCrory's campaign. So I don't know if that's playing a factor into it, but there are donors like that still missing from campaign finance reports for Ted Budd. So that's something that I'm interested in seeing on his next campaign report, whether he collects money from them. You you mentioned just now the, uh, the Ted Budd versus Pat McCrory Republican primary in that race. And I think that's probably... Uh, a pretty good uh, example to mention here. I mean, you know, in the early stages of that primary, 
Bud was trailing McCrory pretty seriously in fundraising, um, but then obviously came back and won. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, his his campaign is uh, saying that they're pretty confident that he can uh, repeat that success. I, I think, and you know, this is something that we can get at a little bit more, but I, I think it probably goes to the fact that, you know, the outside spending that we're seeing in these races is just so massive. You know, it, it kind of raises the question, OK, like how much does it really matter, you know, how much these individual candidates raise when you have, you know, big super PACs like the uh, the Club for Growth, which is on Ted Bud's side, which came in and dropped, what, 14 or 15 million dollars just in that primary between him and McCrory. I think it it was maybe more money than the two of them raised combined by themselves. People can correct me if I'm wrong on that, um, but it was just a massive amount of money. Yeah. So Ted Budd has Club for Growth behind him. He's got President Donald Trump's endorsement, which I will say prior to the primary, we weren't seeing the January 6th committee hearings going on. So I have no idea how that's going to affect him to have that endorsement. I don't believe they're worried about it. I can't say that for certain, but my sense is they're not worried about those committee hearings affecting their campaign at this point. Um, but I think there could be, you know, that could have an impact later on. Um, so, but that helped carry him through the election and give him the advantage over Pat McCrory to have the funding of Club for Growth and the endorsement of President Trump. And um, that that has really helped him. You also are seeing the extra bump for Sherry Beasley with Act Blue. They're a big um, online donation. I'm trying to figure out how to word this. They help collect donations for Democratic candidates. And so Act Blue has been a lot of where she's getting her funding from, which um, Jonathan Feltz was very quick to point out in his press release about how she got her money. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to watch because, you know, we know that there will be a lot of big money groups behind Bud's campaign. Uh, there was an interesting article in Politico about a month or so ago about Beasley and how she might not you know, beginning necessarily the same kind of outside support that Cal Cunningham did in 2020. Um, you know, it pointed out how some big Democratic groups spent I think, tens of millions of dollars on his campaign, but had yet to really, you know, promise anything to the Beasley campaign. So that'll be something moving forward to watch for sure, uh, to see if, you know, the Democrats are able to match the Republicans in, you know, in not just like the personal fundraising, but the outside spending. I spoke with um, the group, the organization that had said that they weren't going to fund her um, in that Politico article off the top of my head. I can't remember the name of the group, but they had told me that it wasn't something that so they didn't deny what was in the article, but they said they were willing to help her when needed. So if there was like an attack ad or anything like that, that they were funding, they were going to go in and help her when needed. Um, so it wasn't that they weren't committing money to her, but they weren't putting a price tag on it was the gist that I got. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and moving back to the state level of politics, there's kind of a similar dynamic we're seeing in a, two different, uh, again, statewide races, uh, which is for the Supreme Court. Um, we were looking at those numbers recently, and it's really kind of a similar dynamic as what you were just describing in the Senate race. The two Democratic candidates are so far, it appears, far outraising the two Republican candidates. But Again, there's going to be so many extra millions of dollars pumped into that race from super PACs, from, you know, 527 groups, from all these other, you know, ways that, uh, you know, people can give just massive, massive amounts of money. And North Carolina has had 
the most expensive Supreme Court races in the state uh, for several years running, and I would not be surprised if that happens again. Um, so I, I think it's kind of a, a reflection of that Senate race with the Supreme Court seats. You know, the, the Democrats have a, a reason to be happy uh, looking at the fundraising numbers. Their candidates do appear to be doing pretty well. But that doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, you know, the Republicans uh, and also the Democrats, but as particularly the Republicans can really throw around a lot of money from some of those outside spending groups. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some more regional races, uh, congressional districts, and also the big picture at the legislature. Uh, we're also going to talk about our headliner of the week, uh, which I know is a lot of people's favorite part of the podcast. So we're not going to forget that. We will talk to you more after the break. All right. You are listening to Under the Dome. Again, I am Will Doran here with Danielle Battaglia, our D.C. reporter. We are talking all things campaign finance uh, this week. Uh, and let's talk about Congress. Uh, Danielle, you talked earlier about the Senate race. Let's hone in a little bit more. There's really two competitive congressional seats. We've got 14 districts in Congress. Pretty much most of them, everyone kind of knows how they're going to go. But there's two that are pretty competitive. And tell us more about those, Danielle. So I'm looking at District 1, which is the Sandy Smith versus Don Davis race. So Sandy Smith's our Republican candidate, and Don Davis is in the Democratic side. And Sandy Smith outraised Don Davis. So she collected $1.4 million, and Don Davis has 910000 But what interests me in this race is that if you look at cash on hand, Don Davis still has 208000 well, actually, two hundred and nine thousand. If we're rounding up, where um, Sandy Smith only has forty four thousand cash on hand, so he actually has a lot more money to throw around in this race right now than she does. Um, so, just something to note there. And then on the District Thirteen race, which is the most competitive, the, this is our swing, our only swing district. This is the Wiley-Nichol versus Bo Hines race. So Wiley-Nichol's our Democratic candidate. Bo Hines is our Republican candidate. And Wiley-Nichol outraised Bo Hines. He got $1.8 million compared to Hines's $1.6 million. And what interests me there is Bo Hines has the backing of President Donald Trump. He's got um, Madison Cawthorn rallying behind him. I believe he has club for growth, but I wouldn't quote me on that. And, um, so it was interesting to see him be out raised by Wiley Nickel. Uh, Nickel still has 510,000 cash on hand and, um, and then Bo Hines has 103,000 cash on hand. So Nickel's cleaning up over there. Yeah, I think that, you know, Wiley Nickel kind of cruised to a pretty easily easy victory in that Democratic primary, uh, whereas Bo Hines had a much harder fought win there. So I guess I'm not too surprised to see that uh, there's the big disparity on, in cash on hand. Um, and uh, for people who uh, aren't as uh, expert insiders as Danielle, I will just give some quick background on those two districts. So District 1 that she was talking about with Don Davis and Sandy Smith, that is in northeastern North Carolina. Um, and actually, in both of these districts that she just talked about, there's no incumbent. Um, so it's two complete newcomers uh, trying to get their names out there. So money obviously matters a lot. In that Northeastern District, District 1, uh, the, the fight is to replace G.K. Butterfield, uh, who's the former head of the Congressional Black Caucus. 
that area used to be a majority African-American district, or at least a majority minority district. Um, however, it was recently re- redrawn to be uh, to have a significantly larger white population moving a little bit more Republican leaning. Uh, that'll, so that'll be really an interesting one to watch. And then the District 13 between uh, Democrat Wiley Nickel and Republican Bo Hines, that is uh, in the Wake County suburbs. Uh, it's got kind of southwest Wake County, Johnson County, uh, a little bit of, I think, the Goldsboro out- outskirts. Um, and those areas are also the, the suburbs. Some of the historically black rural areas of North Carolina are also some of the areas that are going to be competitive in the General Assembly. Uh, as we look to the races this year. And in those races, looking at the numbers so far, the Republicans seem to have a pretty sizable advantage. Um, the you know, If you look at just what the Democratic Party has raised versus what the Republican Party has raised, the, the numbers are actually almost identical so far. Um, however, then if you look at some of the top leadership in the, the two chambers in the state House and state Senate, the Republicans are just way ahead. Um, And obviously, it's not nearly as cut and dry as a congressional campaign because, you know, the legislature has actually been in session and they're doing things. They were writing a new state budget. They're passing the Farm Act. They're working on a sports betting bill. They're working on Medicaid expansion. And so if you go in and look at you know, the the details of the fundraising reports of, you know, some of the, you know, the Republican leaders who have raised nearly as much just by themselves as like the entire state party has. It's, you know, out, you know just outstanding amounts of money. You know, they're getting a lot of money from companies in the gambling industry, companies in the healthcare industry, uh, you know, and CEOs, uh, you know, of, of companies in those in- industries. So, I think there, even though right now the numbers show Republicans pretty substantially ahead of the Democrats in those legislative races, a couple of months from now, when we get those Q3 numbers, it could be totally different because right now the legislature is out of session. They are done for the year. Everyone is hitting the campaign trail. And obviously, both both sides are going to be uh, hitting up their donors pretty hard for some money. But uh, we should probably see the Democrats uh, starting to pull even on that. Uh, but that'll be a, a subject for a different podcast <laughs> at a different time. Um, right now, I want to go over to our headliner of the week. Um, and I'm going to throw it to you, Danielle. Uh, who is your headliner of the week? You know, I have been searching the internet this morning, just looking at reactions from the January 6th um, committee hearing last night. So we're recording this on Friday. That hearing was on prime time on Thursday. And we aren't talking too much anymore about the police officers who were injured, but they have been largely at every um, hearing in the front row. Sometimes they get moved to the back row, depending on who's testifying, but they've been mostly in the front row. And one of them was harassed last night by some people when he was leaving the Capitol. People got in. Well, one person got injured um, and they were talking about how, you know, we have been laughing at some of the stuff that we've seen in these hearings. But to them, it's just not funny. Like they they're still hurting. They're still dealing with PTSD and, and all the things that have come from it. So my headliner of the week are the the Capitol Police who had to deal with what happened at the Capitol that day. All right. Well, appropriately, as uh, Danielle, our D.C. reporter, has a D.C. themed uh, headliner of the week. Uh, I am recording this here in Raleigh and I'll uh, have a Raleigh themed headliner of the week. Um, I've got to go with Attorney General Josh Stein, um, who 
uh, he announced his uh, 2020 campaign is actually facing a criminal investigation. And uh, that <laughs> I, I got a, a, an interesting call uh, to set up a meeting with him uh, the other day. And, you know, so I show up to this meeting, get myself an iced coffee. And, you know, you never expect a, a politician to open up with, you know, OK, so, you know, we're, we're facing this criminal investigation. Like, wait, what? Um, uh, he is now filing a lawsuit, which was why uh, uh, he wanted to, uh, to talk to the media about this, to let them know about this lawsuit he's filing to try to end that criminal investigation into his campaign. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, thing. This is just a shameless plug for my own story, uh, if people want to go read that. Uh, but it really kind of goes back to some ads, uh, Democrats, Republicans, war of words, basically on, on who's to blame for the state's pretty bad backlog of untested sexual assault evidence kits. Uh, that has been a, a huge issue in state politics for a couple of years uh, and now has led to this criminal investigation and subsequent civil lawsuits. That's something we're definitely going to keep following. Uh, maybe the subject of a an, another future podcast if uh, we want to do a little bit more in-depth dive into that. Uh, but for now, I am Will Doran. Uh, and for Danielle Battaglia and the whole News and Observer and NC Insider team, we appreciate y'all listening. Uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.